Just checking you before I start preaching, making sure there's somebody's listening. All right, open, if you would, in your Bibles to Matthew 25. We're going right through Matthew. Toward the last section here, almost. Matthew 25. And we are working through, basically, Jesus' sermon on the second coming, on his, his return. It's Matthew 25. Nope, we're going to start with verse 14, and we're going to go to verse 30. Matthew 25, 14 to 30. Let's stand together for the reading of God's holy and errant word. Hear the word of God to you this morning. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went out at once and put his master's money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said. I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Thus ends the reading of God's authoritative word. We bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would anoint the exposition and explanation of your word and that you would also anoint the hearing and the receiving of it. We pray this for Jesus' glory and for our good. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 
I mentioned a few moments ago, we're actually in the middle of a long sermon. Jesus is preaching a sermon about his second coming. He's been exhorting us to keep constant lookout for his promised return. And what we need to see here is Jesus gives us four parables or four illustrations to open up to us the truth that we need to be ready at all times for when he comes. And real quickly and briefly, uh, I'm going to mention where we're at now so I can just jump right into this text. In the first section, Matthew 24, 36 to 44, his emphasis is is on being ready since we don't know when he will return. In other words, he says, since you don't know the day and the hour, be ready at all times, right? That's the first section's emphasis. In 24, 45 to 51, his emphasis is making sure the master finds us doing his will when he comes. In other words, you better be about the master's business when he shows up. Simple as that. The third section, and that's the section Pete preached on last week. We talk about the ten virgins, right? The five foolish, five wise. That passage, he's, he's emphasizing that we need to be prepared for our Lord's return, even if it seems like our Lord is long in coming. Right? So we need to be prepared in case he delays his return. He's going to talk about that a little bit in this passage too. But this morning's text, which we're going to be focusing on, it's often called the parable of the talents. The emphasis here as Don Carson puts it, he puts it better than me, he says this paragraph goes beyond the first three in that it expects the watchfulness of the servants to manifest itself during the master's absence, not only in preparedness and performance of duty, even if there's a long delay, but in an improvement of the allotted talents till the day of reckoning. In other words, the emphasis here is using what God has given us for his glory. Because someday there's going to be a reckoning. He's going to come and say, what'd you do? I told you I'd be back. This shouldn't shock you. And so simply, the message is this for this morning. I've been chewing on this for a long time. God have mercy. Jesus calls us to put all the resources he's given us to work for the kingdom as we await his return. Two simple things we're going to see. Simple, but not always easy. First of all, Jesus promises us that faithful servants will be rewarded. That's the first thing we're going to see in this text. He promises us faithful servants will be rewarded. Second thing in the text, there's only two points this morning, is that Jesus warns us that unfaithful servants will be punished. Both are in the text. Both are used as a motivation for us to be ready and to put everything that he's given us to work for him and for his kingdom. So let's take a look at the first one. Faithful servants will be rewarded when he returns. Look at verses 14 and 15. Again, it'll be like a man on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Obviously, I'm not going to go Uh, into too much great detail explaining who is who. It's pretty self-explanatory. The man who goes away, the master, is Jesus. The three who are given talents are those who profess to be followers of Jesus. As we're going to see, there's a difference between professing faith in Christ and actually having faith in Christ. We're going to see that in one of the servants, right? So that's obviously the analogy that's going on here, and it's for all of us to take to heart. 
So what I want to point out first before we go any deeper is what a talent is. Because in the English language, we think talent, we think, hey, that guy's playing drums. He's talented. Or, man, look, he can paint. What a ta-. That's not the talent that's being talked about here. The talent here, as one other translation puts it, it's more equivalent to this, a bag of gold. A talent was a weight or measure of either silver or gold, and it was worth buku dolores, lots of money. We're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. So if anybody here is saying, oh, that poor guy only got one. Yeah, he got about $800,000. Anybody feel bad for him now? So that's what we're talking about in a literal sense. But what does it represent um, for us today? And what, it, what, it, what do the ta- talents represent? It actually represents, some people try to isolate it to one thing, but it actually represents all God-given resources that we have. Our time, our money, our abilities, our spiritual gifts, our opportunities, our ministries, you name it. Everything we have been given is on loan from God. And we're to use it to further his kingdom purposes. It needs to multiply. Um, I found this great quote from an old guy, lived in the 1800s. He was a bishop, J.C. Ryle, and I've read a lot of uh, commentaries, and he puts it so nice and succinctly, I'm going to read it to you. He says this, anything whereby we may glorify God is a talent. Our gifts, our influence, our money, our knowledge, our health, our strength, our time, our senses, our reason, our intellect, our memory, our affections, our privileges as members of God's church, our advantages as possessors of the Bible, all our talents. Whence came these things? What hand bestowed them? Why are we what we are? There's only one answer to these questions. All that we have is a loan from God. We are God's stewards. We are God's debtors. Let this thought sink deeply into our minds. Man, that's good stuff. And notice in the text, each servant is given at least one talent. And here's the thing that really struck me this past week as I've been wrestling with the text. The master, it says in the text, gave each according to his ability. Did you see that in the text? He gave each according to his ability. Yeah, you picked that right up, didn't you? This isn't favoritism, as we define it, but rather it's a word of grace. In other words, the master gives you according to your ability. He only gives you what you can handle. Nothing less, but nothing more. That's grace. So the issue is not how much God's entrusted you with, but really the question is, what do you do with what God has given you? That's what this parable that Jesus talks all about. This can be seen when we see the way the master rewards both the man who doubles the five talents that he's entrusted with and the man who doubles the two talents he's entrusted with. Listen, this is pretty um, interesting here. Both of them hear these blessed words of commendation. In other words, it's the same exact reward. Look with me, verse 21. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then when you look again in verse 23, it's the same exact language. So both the one who was given five and doubles it and the one who was given two and doubles it, they get the same reward. Notice that. God won't hold you accountable for the time, money, talents, abilities, and gifts and opportunities that you don't have. Isn't that cool? 
He simply expects you to use what you've been blessed with for his kingdom and for his glory. And when I first heard about this one illustration I'm about to tell you, talk about convicting. I want to tell you about uh, this man. Um, his name was John Dominique Balby, the French guy. Yeah, I know. We say that ten times. He was a French journalist. He had been editor-in-chief of the fashion, editor-in-chief of the fashion magazine Elle. And he suffered a stroke in December of 1995. It left him unable to either speak or move, although his mind was unaffected. That's a tough thing, by the way, to know and hear everything and not be able to communicate. But he did have one part of his body that was left under voluntary control, and that was his left eyelid. So he could do that. He could move his left eyelid. And he learned to communicate with that eyelid. So at first he would either be able to say yes or no by doing that. But then, listen to this. He was working with his therapist, and, and she would use the um, French alphabet, and every time he got to a letter, he would blink. So then he would form words by using his eyelid. And then he could form sentences. But here's the powerful thing. <laughs> Check this out. Difficult though it was, he composed an entire book, The Diving Suit and the Butterfly, prior to his death on March 9th, 1997. In its first week of publication, it sold 146,000 copies. Now, that's what I call, about, I call making the best of what you have. Can I get an amen? No excuses. The man could only move his left eyelid. And look at what he did with it. How much more should the children of the living God use everything we've been given to further the cause of our blessed Lord and Savior until he returns? None of us can complain we don't have anything. We have plenty. If we have life, we have something from the Lord. Think about it this way. This is, again, this was so rich for me. As individuals, Christians, and as corporately as a local church, we're not to compare ourselves with local churches around the country. Even other new cities like St. Louis or Chattanooga or even another congregation somewhere else in the city. We shouldn't be asking, why aren't we doing what they're doing? No, we need to be saying, are we doing all that we can to further the kingdom of Christ? Are we using the gifts, the talents, the abilities, the time that we have in the best way to make Jesus famous, as it were? To bring the good news to people, to minister Mercy and justice. That's the question. Imagine if all of us who heard the sermon took it to heart and asked, not so much, yeah, why is it so-and-so living up to their potential in the Lord? But instead ask, hey, am I really doing everything I can with the resources and the gifts and the ability and the time that God's given me? Jesus tells us this parable as well as this, all the other parables in this whole sermon so that we will readjust our lives in such a way that we will be found ready and productive when the king comes. That's the purpose of this. It's not speculation. Well, let's move on, because I could stay there a long time, but I'm going to avoid that temptation. Let's take a look at the rewards the master gives to the first two servants that go and put their talents to work. And it's good to camp out here for a couple moments because it's so awesome to be thinking about. First of all, Jesus says this. Look at verse 19. It's important to see it. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. 
Now, if you've been with us for uh, our study of Matthew 24 and 25, you'll notice this isn't the first time Jesus refers to the coming as taking a long time. He first mentioned, mentioned that in 24, verse 48. And then he mentioned it again in Pete's text about the virgins in 25, 5. And now again, it's pretty clear that Jesus is warning us not to take his long delay as a reason uh, to be lax or to lose heart. But rather, he's saying, all the more, redeem the time. I've given you more time. Use it wisely. See, the evil, the wicked person, the unbeliever says, hey, he ain't coming. Let's party down. Remember, that was the last pass, a couple passages back. But the godly person, the one who put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ, that person says, oh, we have more time to do good for the king. We have more time to put our gifts to work. We have more time to see others come into the kingdom before it's too late. Upon returning to settle accounts, because Jesus is saying he does return, the first two servants come and they eagerly report. The first, it says the first guy put his stuff right to work. He couldn't wait. He got right out the gate. He comes back and he says, look, you've entrusted me with five? He's kind of like a little kid so excited to show his daddy. Look, I got five more. Really, that's the way the text reads, right? Look, you gave me two. Check it out. Two more. And they both get that response I mentioned earlier, but I'm going to read it again because I want to open it up for us a little bit. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And I want you to see here, before we go to our second and last point, I want you to just see this for a moment. There are actually three rewards in the master's commendation to these two. And I don't want you to miss any of them. I want you to savor them. I want you to keep them in your mind, especially as serving the Lord gets tough, especially as your faith is tried, especially as when the times when you want to lay down on the job and say, I'm done. This is the time to remember the good news of the reward that comes for those who persevere in faith and in service to Jesus. All right, take a look at the first thing. The first thing is, is what he calls them, as it were. The words of affirmation and commendation. Listen, how many people live their lives for a kind word from a parent or a spouse or a boss or a coworker? You know that uh, language is a love. Never read the book, but I did the cliff notes. Like people, when people talk to me about, it, I can kind of know what I'm talking about. Well, there's different ways that people like to be loved, and some is the gift of service, and some is the gift of they like to hear words of affirmation. Well, the bottom line is we all actually deep in our hearts like to hear words of affirmation. Amen? And what a wonderful thing to hear from the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the very Jesus who was once crucified, dead, and now risen from the grave, to hear him say this when he returns. Put your name before it. Well done, good and faithful servant. Listen, if it stopped, if the reward stopped there, that's enough, amen? I mean, what else could I want than to hear Jesus say to me, well done? You know, constantly as we serve Jesus, we hear the opposite from the world, don't we? We get abused, we get used, we get mocked, we get called every name under the book and even physical persecution. How wonderful, the one who matters. That's the key. 
You could, I, could, I could take all of that as long as my Lord says to me, well done. Well done. But God is so good. He's so merciful. He's so gracious. It doesn't stop there. Secondly, he says this. There's a second reward. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. We've also heard this earlier in Jesus' sermon in uh, chapter 24, 46 to 47. Um, when he's talking about it'll be good for that servant to be doing his master's will when the Lord comes. He says, I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. Now listen, I don't know if you're like me. When I hear that, I say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Work is my reward? You're telling me I do what you say, and then you say, here, you did a little bit, now I got more work for you to do. Now, I know some of us going to kind of scratch your head a little bit and say, wait a minute. But I'll tell you what, maybe you can understand, this will help you understand a little better. My buddy, um, Dave Chu, is an awesome interior design guy. He loves it. And I remember he did uh, a room for us. You know those, those shows on TV where you, walk, you go out and you come home and you're, there's a room that's been transformed and, and, the, and the wife's going, ah! the guy's like, cool. You know. So that happened to us. And, and in upstate New York, I came and my whole room was redone. And I was like, you know, we had a big party. It was great. And um, his reward for that was when we actually moved to Atlantic City, he did our whole house. But here's what you have to understand. Dave loves it. He loves every aspect of redoing a home, making it exactly the way that the homeowners want it, seeing how happy that makes them. And, and, and so use that as an example. Use an example of music. For me, when I compose a, a song or songs, when I go through all the work and I do the toil and, and all the, the, oh, man, it, it can be so nitpicky with mixing and, and mastering and, and wrestling it together. But once it comes out, ah, what Jesus is saying is when he gives us the little he gives us, when we actually are faithful in that, then he gives us charge over many things in the kingdom. And we get to do the things that make us tick, the things he created us for. Listen, we were not created for idleness. God didn't make us to sit around and do nothing and and, and stink and twiddle our thumbs. He made us to be productive, to glorify him, and to enjoy it forever. I heard that somewhere before. But you know what? Oh, one, one quick other thing. The other thing that's really cool. I never thought about it this way. One commentator uh, pointed this out. There will be no unemployment in the kingdom. Ain't that cool? Trust me, we wrestle with that really hard down on this side of glory, right? Not in heaven. No unemployment. Everybody's doing stuff. But we're still not done. One more thing. Thirdly, He says this, come and share your master's happiness. One commentator uh, pointed this out. He says, it is but little that we can receive here. Some drops of joy enter into us, but there we shall enter into joy as vessels put into a sea of happiness. Isn't that awesome? So, you know, deep in my heart, I got the joy, I got the joy. We're going to be in the joy. Now, you know, I always thought, I'm sorry for thinking about this, but remember the original Willy Wonka? You remember there was like a river of chocolate? Yeah, and instead of having a little piece of chocolate in you, you get to go in the chocolate. That's like spitting it at you. That's that's what it's going to be. We're going to be swimming around in joy. But it's the master's joy. And he wants us to share that. 
God is not a killjoy. God is not like, oh, wait, somebody somewhere is having fun. God wants us to delight in good and, and holy things in himself. So we see here that the Bible teaches once again that true faith ushers forth in faithful service by definition. Got faith? Then you also got works. God expects us to use what he's entrusted, what he's entrusted us with until he comes. And it'll be greatly rewarded. We need to remember that as a motivation. Second and last thing. Not only will faithful servants be rewarded when Jesus comes back, but unfaithful servants will be punished when he returns. Jesus doesn't end the parable with the first two. He mentions a third servant, the one who was given one. And what does he do? He goes, he digs a hole, he puts the talent in it, and he buries it. He hides it. That's what the text says. And we find out why he does so. And there's two things in the text that shows us why. The first is the reason that the servant himself gives for what he did. But more importantly, what the master says about what the servant did. Look with me real quick to verses 24 to 27 so we can get the, the context. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Here's what you have to understand. This servant had a horrible, skewed, wrong view of his master. How did he view his master? Harsh, hard, just waiting for the, the, the servant to, to mess up once so he could smack him in the head with a board. Sound familiar? There are people that think about God like that, aren't there? And notice, he says, I was afraid. But when the master confronts him, he doesn't say fearful servant because he doesn't buy that excuse, does he? He says you lazy, wicked servant. Notice, he was saying that his master's character was evil, but the real problem was that his character was evil. Do you see that? One commentator puts it this way. The explicit problem with the wicked servant is his attitude about his master. This is the way many people deal with God. Their wrong attitude about God, God is mean, God is unconcerned with our fate, etc., results in an excuse for disobedience to his calling. But faithfulness is contingent on an accurate view of God. Inaccurate views of God allow us to rationalize our own irresponsibility and unfaithfulness. That's why, brothers and sisters, it's so important to study the word of God so we might know God better, the true God, his true attributes. And notice, just as Jesus promises great reward for faithful servants who show their genuine faith by putting all they've been given to work for the kingdom, so he warns against an unbelieving heart that has a skewed view of God and buries what's been entrusted to him. Notice the first surprise. Look at verse 28. 
and 29. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has been given, I'm sorry, to everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Now think about this. Why, how does that make sense? I'll tell you how it, worked, it makes sense. The one who had five talents shows that he can be entrusted, right, with the talents because he made five more. So therefore, take that one and give it to the guy who can be trusted. You know what's interesting? This is one of the to- few times in the Bible that I see God trusts us. You know, trust in the Lord? Well, here's a case where God is entrusting his riches to his people. And notice that guy never even had those things because his heart was never with God. He never did trust him, the master, to begin with. You know, I think about a lot of times I've heard a pastor say, when I need something really to get done in the church, I find out who the busiest guy in the church is, and I give it to him. (laughs) In other words, then I know it'll get done. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Look at verse 30. There's a second judgment, just like there were three uh, blessings and rewards. Look at the second one, verse 30. Throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. My brothers and sisters, woe to that church that only preaches Jesus' words about heaven but neglects Jesus' words about hell. Jesus tells us about both places. There is a heaven to win and there is a hell to avoid. Any preacher worth his salt will warn you. Any pastor who cares for your soul will warn you like the good shepherd does. We would, we would do well to note that these words are the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the one who was filled with grace and truth. This isn't the first time in our study of Matthew 24 to 25 that we find him warning about the judgment that will be awaiting those who aren't ready for his return. He warns us in mercy and grace so that we will take heed and turn to him in faith and repentance before it's too late. So that we don't find ourselves outside the kingdom for all eternity when he comes back. Remember the five foolish and the five wise virgins? The foolish come too late. Sir, let us in. And the master says, I never knew you. And they're out what? In the darkness. According to Jesus, it'll be a place of darkness. It'll be a place of wailing, that's weeping. And it'll be a place of grinding one's teeth together in agony. Just as we need to keep the threefold reward mentioned earlier in our mind as we deal with the difficulties and dangers and disappointments we face in serving the Lord on this side of glory to motivate us to stay the course, so here we're to take Jesus' threefold warning to heart when we're tempted to throw in the towel, give in to wickedness and laziness, and bury the talents God has entrusted to us. Doug O'Donnell says this, that's what Jesus is getting at with his horror story ending. I like the way he puts that. So don't be lazy with the gifts that you have been given. The point of the parable is that that simple and that pointed. It's to hurt if need be. It's to hurt now so it won't hurt later. 
Listen, I'll tell you why I allow these words into me, and I don't shun them. I, I like to use that, that one quote from uh, Ty Tabor's song, walk out into the sun and let the fire in. Because listen, you let the fire of God's convicting words in now, and the fire will never touch you later. Do you get that? That's the beauty of this. Heed the shepherd's voice now, and you'll be blessed later. For those who ignore the shepherd's voice now and do not heed his warning, then there will be suffering hereafter. And that suffering doesn't end. The point of his whole sermon is to call us to realign our entire lives to order them around this cataclysmic event, the one event all of God's people down the ages have been waiting for, the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The emphasis on these verses is on watching for his return as those who will have to give an account for what we did with what he gave us when he returns. He wants us to be watching and working as we wait. So that that day may be a day of joy and not a day of terror. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for these kind, strong, purifying words of love. Thank you that even here in Atlantic City, you brought us to this place this morning so that we could hear your very word which is sure. Father, we pray that there wouldn't be one person in this room, literally. It's our heart's desire that would be caught unawares, that would, be, would have to come to you in shame because they hid all the opportunities and talents and time and blessings that you entrusted them with. Father, we pray that we would be ready by faith and by a faith that works when you return through Jesus. It's in his name, Lord, that we beg you, and it's in his name that we praise you for the word of life. And all God's people said, amen. Let's respond together as we sing, Awesome God, because he is.